The reading this morning comes from the letter of 1 John, uh, chapter 4, verses 7 to 12. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is the word of the Lord. Now, 1 John 4 may not be the most traditional Christmas passage, uh, but I think as you think about the words in 1 John 4, uh, 7 through 12, you quickly realize that it, it fits pretty well with Christmas when you consider the central theme of this passage. Matter of fact, to make sure you get the central theme, I think you probably got it already, but to make sure you get it, we're going to read it one more time. But this time as I read it, I want you all to count with me. Count out loud. As I read through it, every time you hear the word love or some form of love, like loves or loved, I want you to count. So the first time you hear it, you ought one. Second time, two, three, and so on. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, and also, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another... God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. Thirteen. Y'all did well. Thirteen times that word love appears in this short passage. Uh, and it's not hard to imagine why there's a connection between this passage and Christmas. Uh, because it really is the ultimate display of God's love. The ultimate display. As John says here, he sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Uh, that is love. And this passage tells us that that kind of love is a love that, that we ought to then express to one another. We ought to live out. So again, pretty common to think of love when we think of Christmas. Those themes often go together, don't they? But I've noticed that as I see movies and Christmas cards and read Christmas stories, that often the love that's talked about around Christmas is kind of a, a, a sentimental love. It's a love that's meant to stir warm feelings and kind of make us cozy, right? Uh, and, and again, I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but, but that's really not all that the true love of Christmas is meant to be about. 
It's not just sentimental. It's not just kind of syrupy sweet or Norman Rockwell picturesque. Or it's not just Hallmark movie kind of love. We've all seen that kind of love. Again, maybe nothing wrong with that. But I think the love of Christmas is something more than just that. Now, I'm not an expert on sentimentality. I've told you guys uh, in another sermon that my wife has this common line that she uses with me. And that line is that you have no sentimentality. She says it to me all the time. Now, the other day I was working up my defense against that what I thought was an obvious mischaracterization, mischaracterization of me. And so, so I was looking up. I want to make sure before I argued against it that I fully understood what it meant. So first I look up sentiment. And sentiment, we all kind of know, it's emotion or feeling, and especially used when talking about more tender feelings. But, and that's, I understood then what my wife meant. And again, I thought, that's not true. But then I looked up sentimental. Sentimental, Webster says, A, It's marked or governed by feeling, sensibility, or emotional idealism. I thought, well, I'm not so sure I want to be emotionally idealistic. And B, resulting from feeling rather than reason or thought. And I kind of like reason and thought. I wasn't all against that. But then I looked up sentimentality. Here's what Webster says about sentimentality. The quality or state of being sentimental, especially to excess, or in affectation. And I had to look up that word. I wasn't sure what that meant. So that one was not natural or not genuine. So sentimentality is to be emotional to excess or to be emotional in a way that's not genuine, that's not real. So next time my wife says I have no sentimentality, I'm going to say, well, thank you. (laughs) I believe I don't have emotion to excess or that's disingenuous. So I'm all for that. Uh, the truth is, though, my wife doesn't say that because she thinks I have, she wants me to have emotion to excess. My wife says that because she feels sometimes that my emotional responses or my expression of my feelings isn't appropriate for the situation, that it's less than maybe would be appropriate for that moment. And many times she's right. But when I look at Christmas a lot of times and how it's depicted, I think a lot of times it is, the love of Christmas is depicted in a way that is kind of sentimental to excess, that is kind of a sentimentality a lot of times, something that almost doesn't seem like it's real life, like it's the real thing. Um, You see that a lot of times in movies and all. The Grinch's heart grew three times larger. Why? Because he realized that these who's in Whoville that their real love for Christmas wasn't all about the materialistic, that they weren't the materialistic jerks he imagined them to be. That when he heard them singing without any other presents or any other decorations, he came to realize that underneath it all, they were people who really did love for the right reasons, who loved one another, who loved Christmas, who celebrated for, for good reasons. That underneath it all, they truly were good people. Something he really didn't realize before. And I think there's nothing wrong with that kind of love, that love for the lovable, the love for those that are basically good. That's the kind of love we often hear about, that underneath it, when we really look, everybody is somebody that's worthy of love. Everybody, if we would really look close enough. Even little Cindy who figured out that the Grinch, underneath it all, was worthy of love. 
And that's, there's something kind of beautiful about that when we tell those stories. I have nothing against warm Christmas stories, believe it or not. I have a little bit of sentimentality. I'm okay with, I'm probably not Hallmark movie kind of level, but I'm, I like some of them, you know? It's, it's okay to be a little sentimental at Christmas. But today I want to talk about the fact that the true Christmas story is so much more than that. It is so much deeper. The, the love there is so much bigger than just that, than just the love for the lovable. In 1 John 4, John is making a case that he's been making throughout this letter. In the second chapter, he said that, that as believers, we ought to love one another. And we ought to love one another because when we do so, we reveal that we are people of the light. And then chapter 3, he says that we ought to love one another. And we ought to love one another because when we do so, we reveal that we are people that have passed from death into life. That when you love one another, you reveal the fact that you are people of the light, people of righteousness, of truth. You are people of life, of this new life that only God can give. You reveal that when you love. And then in chapter 4, I think he makes his strongest case for loving one another. In chapter 4, he says, love one another because love comes from God. And if you love, then you're born of God. You know God. True love, the real thing. If you express that love, then you're born of God. And if you don't love with that true love, then you don't know God. And the reason is, he argues, because God is love. He doesn't say God does loving things. He doesn't say God is loving. He says God actually is love. That every thought, every word, every action that has ever come from God is love. At his very essence of his being, God is love. That's who he is. And God didn't begin to love when he created us. God didn't begin to love when he sent his son to the earth. That, that wasn't the beginning of God's love. God has eternally loved. God still loves. God forever will love. God by himself is always a God of love. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, intimately loving one another for all eternity. God is love, never exists apart from it. And, again, if this love, this remarkable love that has always been there, always will be there, one of the ways it is most breathtakingly put on display for us, it's, again, didn't begin there, but it is the display that ought to take our breath away, is when he says that he sent his son, his one and only son, that we might know life. Same kind of words that John used in his gospel. One and only son. He said, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. I think John is trying to drive home how, how deep this love is in a way that we can understand. It's not just his son. It's his one and only son. If you could just get that, if you could grasp it, how deep God's love is for his son, that when he gave his son, what a remarkable, unbelievable, breathtaking thing that was. And then John goes on in 1 John to try and help us understand some things about this love. Gives us some insight into it. First he says, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. It's not a love that was given out of obligation. It was not a love that was given because we did something worthy of being loved. Because we were so good or so lovable that he loved us. It started in him. It had its beginning in him. It was initiated by him simply because he's a God of love. Not because of anything in us. Second, he goes on and he says, 
that it was done as an, as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. He didn't just send his son that he might be with us, that he might do good things for us. Or as many say, he didn't just send his son that he would be a good role model for us. That wasn't the reason he sent his son. Part of it, but not the full reason he sent his son. He sent his son to be an atoning sacrifice for our sins. He sent his son that he might take upon himself the penalty of our sins, that he might restore our relationship with God through what he did. Well, I, I was telling, I spoke at a garden villa this week, and one of the things I mentioned there was that uh, one of my grandsons, when he was younger, somewhere he picked up this idea that whenever he talked about Jesus, he would call him God Jesus. And he, for years, said that. When we'd pray with him at night, when we'd go there, he would pray, you know, God, Jesus, will you watch over my mom and dad? God, Jesus, everything, you know. We never corrected him. He eventually figured it out on his own and stopped doing it. But we never corrected him because I loved that. I thought, what a good little theologian. He figured it out. I don't know where he figured it out, but he figured it out. That, that Jesus, this Jesus that he saw all these pictures of in the manger, this is God. If that is all the Christmas story is about, this is a remarkable story. If that's it. If, if all this story is that God, the God who created the human body, the God who designed this, all of these, the God who created this world in this universe and the galaxies beyond, that that God took on human flesh, was a baby in a manger. If that's the whole story, what an amazing story, and it's worth celebrating every year and doing all that we do. But that's not the whole story, right? Because God, Jesus, he came to this earth for more than just to, to be God amongst us and God with us. He came that he might sacrifice his life for our sins. That's the rest of the story. And then third, John tells us who this remarkable, breathtaking, unbelievable gift was given to. He says he sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This remarkable gift was given to sinners, you and I. It was given again to people who didn't deserve it. It was given to people that if you look closely, you don't find something in them that's worthy of it. John Stott talks about the fact that during this time, in the writings of this time, it seems pretty clear that it was considered appropriate in that culture to only love those who were deserving of love. To do otherwise was almost unethical. It was, it was a wrong thing to do. If they didn't deserve love, then it's wrong to show them love. You love those who deserve it. That's not the story of Christmas, right? That's not the story of God's love. It's not a love that stops only with those who deserve it. Because if it did, none of us know it. It's a love that is, that is poured out, not just given, not just expressed in some small way, poured out in the most remarkable way to those who are completely undeserving. That is, a, that is a bigger love than just loving the lovable. And this, this love, this God, if he is within you, that love is within you. That remarkable, breathtaking love is in you. Every time we reach out to God, we reach out to a God who took the initiative of love, that love has resided in him no matter what we do, that he actually is love. Every time we reach out to God, we can be sure that love is there. That it doesn't matter who we are or what we've done, 
how we've failed every single time we reach out because love thrives apart from us and God. Every time we reach out, God tells us love will be there in response. Every single time. That's a love beyond anything that I know apart from him. That's Christmas love. So Jesus tells about a, in his prayer in John 17, John records another place where Jesus kind of talks about this love. In his prayer to the Father, he says, Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. One commentator said about that, that these, are, these are heart attack words, is how he described it. These are words, if you fully grasp what he just said, it ought to make your heart stop. Because these words are so shocking, so unbelievable. He is praying to his father and saying, I don't, God just wants you to love them and them to know your love. I want you to know the kind of love that you eternally have had for me, your beloved son. I want them to know that kind of love. I want them to know it so bad, Father, that I keep, I keep working that they would know you and that they would know you more. Because the more they know you, the more they will know the kind of love that you have for your son. I want that love to live within them through me. That's what I long for for them. Them to be immersed in that love, every moment be in the presence of that love. And then that love to pour out of them. That's what God fights for for us. And then, in 1 John, John comes back and says that this love ought to move us to love the other. He says, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. Basically, he's saying it's a love that's just too big to be contained. That God always wanted this love to be a love that would be shared. The theologian Michael Reeves, in a book that, I, that I'd recommend to everybody, is called Delighting in the Trinity. It's just a small book, but excellent little book. Uh, in it, he writes... Ultimately, the Father sent the Son because the Father so loved the Son, and he wanted to share that love and fellowship. His love for the world is the overflow of his almighty love for his Son. His love for the Son was so good, so enjoyable. It was, it was so remarkable that he wanted to share it. He wanted it to go beyond him to others, and he created us to share the love that he has for the Son with us because he wanted us to know it so badly. This is, a, this is a love that was designed to be shared. At its very core, it's a love that needs to be shared. We're meant to share it too. It's not meant to stop with us and live in us and be contained in us. That's not the kind of love that Christmas love is. It's a love that's meant to go beyond us. And he goes on and he says that this, this love that's meant to be shared as he's been expressing it, he said it's a love for the unlovable. It's the kind of love that takes initiative for the sake of the other. It's the kind of love that's willing to sacrifice for the sake of the other. That's the kind of love the scripture talks about that's in us. It actually resides in us. Do you, when you stop and think about it, do you, do you find that love inside you? If you're a follower of Christ, do you go, yep, that's the love that's in me? Just waiting to pour out, right? Uh, that's often not the case for me. The, the kind of love that just can't wait to love the unlovable. The kind of love that's willing to sacrifice anything that the other might be blessed and good might come to the other. I'm, I'm not always so quick for that. But I love in this passage that it teaches me that love is available to me. That love actually resides in me through Christ. 
that I have the ability to love that way. And the more I know God, the more I listen to the Son as he points me back to the Father, the more I think I have the ability to express that kind of love to the other. He calls us to do that. He says it takes effort. It's not automatic, right? Or he's not calling us to do it. We need to do it. But he's reminding us again and again, of course you should do this. Of course you should. That's the love that resides within you. You have access to that. That is God, and God is in you. Love that way. Why in the world would you love with anything less than that? And then finally, kind of wraps it up in verse 12 with these words. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. Made complete, brought to maturity, made perfect in us somehow. Love, no one's ever actually seen God. None of us have seen God. But he says, when you love, when you love with this love that is God, that is within you, when you allow that to flow through you and out to the world around you, we, in a sense, see God. We do, and the world around us sees God too, because God is love. In that divine love, the world actually gets to experience something of God. So here's a poem by uh, Christina Rossetti. It actually became a carol eventually. That you're probably familiar with it as a Christmas carol called Love Came Down at Christmas. Now, I got to admit, I'm not much of a poetry guy. Most of the time, I don't understand it. Uh, but I love this poem. The more I've read through this poem, the more I love it. Because I just think it, it says what love is, the love we should be talking about at Christmas so well. She says, love came down at Christmas. Love all lovely, love divine, this extravagant love, this divine love, this lovely love. And love was born at Christmas. Literally, love was born that Christmas night. That that was love because that was God. God Jesus, that was love. The star and angels gave the sign. The star directed the wise men to love incarnate. Um, the angels directed the shepherds to love incarnate. They gave the sign. They pointed the way to where love resided. And then she goes on and says, we worship the Godhead. Love incarnate, love divine. Worship we are Jesus. But wherewith for sacred sign? That one I had to think about a while. That's not my way of saying it. Wherewith for sacred sign? So the, the wise men had the star that pointed him to this remarkable love. The shepherds, um, they had the angels to point them to this love incarnate. Where's our sign? What points us to love incarnate? How do we find this remarkable love that is God? And she answers her question. She says, love shall be our token. Love shall be yours and love be mine. Love to God and to all men. Love for plea and gift and sign. What points us to love incarnate? It's the love that's within us. It reminds us that God is with us because that kind of love resides within me. God is with me. And when I express that love, again, I'm reminded God is with me. Where else would that love come from? And when the world around me sees that love expressed in my words, in my actions, in my attitudes, the world around me is reminded God is with us. Love incarnate, God is here. Emmanuel. 
I love a phrase by a British pastor, Hugh Palmer. He says, it's folly to believe we can discard the template of love and keep making accurate copies. Um, there are a lot of things in our world that we call love, that we would say that's, that's real love. But they're kind of distortions of the real thing. I think because they've moved so far from the real source. You know, they have a little appearance of it. They're kind of like it. But they're not an accurate copy of the real thing. Because to have an accurate copy of the real thing, we have to come back to the real thing again and again and again. God is the source of love. God is love. The further you move from him, you may call it love, but it's not a very good copy anymore. It starts to become more and more distorted. It starts to become a love that's kind of separated from light and from life, as John describes. It's a different kind of love. It may have some similarities, but it's not that love that is God. You want to know that love? It comes from God. You want to know that love? You've got to come back to him again and again and again and know him better and better because that's the love that's going to tell you God is with you. And that's the love that as you live out is going to tell the world around you God is with us. So this Christmas, as you all go out and see family and um, spending time with friends and all those things in the next week, and then New Year's, and as you enter a new year and you make all those resolutions, one of the things I'd encourage you to think about is just think about that love, if you're a follower of Christ, that love resides within you. God is in you, which means love is in you. Um, Let that be your reminder that this is not just some fantasy I've made up in my head to make myself feel better. That love that resides within me is my constant uh, sign that points me back to say, God is with me. And then, choose to show the world. Choose to show the world that kind of love. The kind of love that sacrifices. That sacrifices for the sake of the other. The kind of love that takes initiative even when the other hasn't done anything to deserve it. The kind of love that is there because God has poured it into you and it comes from him. So think about some ways to live that out this next week. A lot of you will go into homes where I know it's going to be tough, where it's not always those Norman Rockwell picture kind of homes, right? A lot of you will be dealing with people that you're glad you only have to see on a holiday. Um, that's, That's real Christmas, right? Those kind of things happen. So this Christmas, think about what would it be like to really live out that love that's within you, to let it pour through you and pour out to another. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you um, for that remarkable love that you have poured into us through your son, Jesus Christ. Um, Father, Apostle Paul tells us that it is a love that, that he wants us to understand just how long and deep and high and wide that love is that it's beyond our imagination. And Father, I know we will never understand it fully until we're with you. But Father, I pray you would help our understanding to grow. You'd help us to grow simply as we reflect upon you and draw close to you. But Father, pray also you'd help our understanding to grow as we try to live it out towards others. That more and more as we love as you've called us to love, we would come to understand, Father, that we love with a love that's beyond us. Thank you that we can do that. Pray, Father, this Christmas would be filled with it. In your blessed name, amen.